Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast or Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, June the 5th, 2020. Hopefully you guys are out doing some shit you love with people you enjoy. And we have a special guest on the podcast today. Dr. Ashley Ledger is on the podcast. Ashley, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, we'll do her intro real quick. Born in the beautiful state of Indiana. Grew up in Columbus, Indiana to be exact. Graduated from Indiana University. Got her master's degree in biomedical sciences from Midwestern U. And doctor of osteopathic medicine, also from Midwestern U. And residency training at UT Health Science Center. And board certified in anesthesia. Sounds fancy. It's a lot of graduations right there. Yes. uh, Pretty cheap, too, I'm (laughs) sure. Yeah, very cheap very cheap so uh just the current season of life uh stressful normal you know what's going on well, it's been an interesting year for sure i imagine mm-hmm. so i guess the first question uh why medicine or when do you decide to do that like when you're 12 15 20 or um well i was lucky enough to decide in the seventh grade <laughs> nice dude <laughs> so i had a pretty uh clear-cut path for me uh I think it was uh, actually the Chicago Science Museum. There was this display, this body display as you're walking down the stairs. <laughs> oh yeah, all these like slices of the body, like I think from I've seen top them before, to yeah. bottom. And I was like, dude, that is so freaking cool. And I was fascinated. I could have spent all day there. I didn't need to move on. Um, and I think that's where my just like love of studying the human body started. Um, and then seventh grade, I was like, yep, I want to be a doctor. So that's kind of how I, how I started. And so grades pretty good probably the whole way through. Uh, yeah. So yeah. high school, GPA, you remember it? I don't remember. Close to 4.0? Probably pretty close. <laughs> I mean, how does that work? Like, so when you're in college, like, you have to, you don't have to get perfect grades, but probably. You have to be pretty good. I mean, medical school is fairly competitive, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. So having a good GPA, doing well on um, the entr- entrance exams, all that kind of stuff. Is and when you, how many people get weeded out like when you were there? Do you remember? I don't remember. But it's a lot. Uh, of, it starts with a lot. Yeah, quite a bit. A couple hundred? Uh, yeah, probably more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then they slowly just drop off little by little. Uh, yeah. Um, some people are uh, pretty gung-ho that, that, that that's what they want to do and they don't take the rejection and they keep going back until they get in, which is pretty cool. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, we never ask, and I never have either, like, when I go to doctor, dentist, honestly, anybody. Uh, we don't give a shit. Yeah, we put this importance on GPA in school, and, like, I've never asked, like, my dentist, like, what his GPA was, yeah. what his grades were, or any doctor I went to. I assume they have the piece of paper, like, they're good enough to go. <laughs> but there has to be, like, a best person and a worst person, right? Yeah. Like, even with what you do. Like, there has to be people, like, and that's why I'd ask, like, you know, I go, how does one pick, you know, I want to be an anesthesiologist? Um, yeah, I think, so medical school, you go through lots of different rotations. Um, some people pretty much knew going in what kind of physician they wanted to be. Um, at the beginning, I said I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. I had no idea what it meant. Um, but then why would you pick that of all things? Because <laughs> um, we had a family friend who was an anesthesiologist, and he was a badass, and I was like, yeah. I want to be like him. And um, they make money, yeah. And they make good money, and, you know, all the things that you hear, like good lifestyle, um don't have to do clinic and all those sorts of things Uh, so that's how I first became interested and then um, you know going through medical school you just find all these things you know like do I want to do cardiology do I want to do 
definitely weeded out some things pretty quick. Yeah, like what's the, what's like the worst? Like definitely not. Uh, I like to work on the other end of the human. Um, it's crazy because like there's a uh, – Manny comes here and Manny is – like when he said the same thing, like he's like when I did my rotations, he said Obi was the worst stuff. And why is that? Just because like you have to be a certain kind of person for it, I guess. I, yeah, I mean, I to me it looks like you're a resident your whole life. Like you're on call a lot. You're available to your pa- you know you're available to your patients a lot. Um, I don't typically. I mean, you know, we do some OB with anesthesia also, and I love the part of that ob that i get to do yeah um but i have no interest in the delivering of the baby part that would just be uh, it's a messy business <laughs> yeah no i imagine yeah it would not be when again you're kind of like i don't know how they do their schedules but you're kind of always there unless like you plan a vacation but it's probably planned around yeah the moms that you're delivering with right sometimes yeah and i mean a lot of the a lot of physicians are in groups now and so they help cover each like a other team. yeah that's crazy so I knew pretty quick I didn't want to be an OB. So um, like for an idiot like me, mm-hmm. like what what is your day like? Like what is an like what is an anesthesiologist to everybody listening? Like what does that look like? We know like you put us to sleep basically, but is that really what happens? Like what does it look like? Yeah. So I mean, first and foremost, we take a look at the patients every day. Um, I typically do it the night before. I look at the patients that I'm going to be taking care of the next day, and I just go through their history. And I look at the data that I have on that patient, um, all the data that I have, and I have to decide whether or not this patient's safe for surgery, um, which is actually can be a very stressful decision. Because um, it's like age, height, weight, health history, those things. Yeah, so yeah, you definitely look at the size of the patient. You look at you know any kind of cardiac issues that they have, pulmonary issues that they have, um, any you know like history of strokes or whatever. I mean. You literally look at everything that you possibly can. And how many people do you have, like, in a day? So it depends on the day. Um, You know, like, today I had two patients. Um, Some days you'll, you know, especially in endo, you're running through things, and you can have 10, 12 patients in a day. And then it just depends, like, each surgery takes, some of them are multiple, multiple hours, obviously. Yeah, some surgeries can be quite long. And so, how does it, like, what happens, actually? So, like, we get plugged in, and then we go to sleep. Like, what is that? So. I don't even know what it is. Like, and I've seen, I remember I watched a movie one time. You tell me if this is real. Like, where they put the dude under, but he's, like, not really under. So. Like, he feels the shit. I mean. Is that real? It happens so rarely. Bro, that would, like, be the worst. I mean, yeah. They. So, you, like, feel all the shit, but you can't say anything. I've never had a patient that's had it. I will say that. Um, Like, how often does that happen, you know? It's super rare. They don't really know why. Like, you could do everything right. You could have them on plenty of anesthesia gas that should keep them unconscious. And they have, they just don't really know why it happens. And you're like this unicorn. You're the lucky one, basically. <laughs> you're, the, you're the chosen. So you're like trapped. So, like, you're, you can't move. Yeah. But they can, like, feel all the shit. And, no? Well, they're, like, consciously aware. So, like, your body still, like, Dude. has pain while you're under anesthesia, but you're just not conscious of the pain. Yeah. And then, you know, like, we see your the vital signs of the pain. So, like, we'll see your heart rate increase. We'll see your blood pre- pressure increase. Um, if you're breathing on your own, then we'll see your respiratory rate increase. So then we give narcotics to help with that. That's, I never thought of it that way. I just thought, like, oh, you're asleep. So, But, again, like, the body still... Cause again, that's how we, we people say like muscle memory, right? And it's like, well, your biceps don't have a memory because yeah. your brain has a memory, but your bicep is just a muscle that does that's yeah. how it works. So, like, you're under, let's say you're going to do ACL surgery, mm-hmm. that pain is still there. 
like your brain still feels it you're just not awake so like you don't realize it yeah like the pain fibers are still firing but you're just not aware of the pain that you're feeling you're just like not consciously aware and then until you wake up and you're like shit my stuff well hopefully if your anesthesiologist does a good enough job you don't like that (laughs) that's great so that is a real thing like i watched that it was like a movie and i'm like man that's tripping me out it it really happens so rarely i mean it's great for a movie makes great and i tell people when people my patients ask me that i'm like it makes great entertainment um but the likelihood of it happening is incredibly rare and we give medicate like a midazolam is a pre-medication that we give for most patients to most patients um it you know knocks out your anxiety a little bit but it also um causes amnesia so you forget a lot you the goal is to forget for a couple of hours yeah <laughs> so that helps also because like i've only been under like probably a couple times i remember mm-hmm. like i got my wisdom teeth like cut out yeah and so like i remember like i counted down from like 100 and i made it to like 97 or some shit yeah but i don't remember like really anything else i mean kind of remember coming home yeah but like just like it's like you're blacked out fucked up drunk basically yeah and that's basically the point right and that's how i'm going to be but i mean the cool so i mean there are lots of different types of anesthesia like general obviously is the one we always think about because that's where you go all the way out to sleep yeah um but we have different things that we can do like uh nerve blocks um so we just inject numbing medicine around the nerves that supply like your extremities so um we'll do like an injection in your neck or something and it'll numb up your whole arm but you're still awake so we can do it either way. You can still go to sleep, and we just use it as, like, post-operative pain control so that you're nice and numb, um, and you don't feel the sur- like what they did to you during surgery. Um, but in some cases, we can use it as the sole anesthetic. We just give you a little sedation and that's it. do the block, and then, obviously, we test it first to make sure that you're numb before we yeah. <laughs> just cut you mess with you, for but, sure. Um, yeah, not so much in this practice, but we did that a lot in training, um, especially, like, hand cases. It's really great. Um, upper extremity kind of things. So you could choose, like, okay, if I'm going to have, like, a, like you had, like, a hand surgery and it mm-hmm. wasn't, that wasn't going to be 10 hours. You could choose to be just be, like, conscious or mm-hmm. awake. Yeah. And they operate on it and you're just, like, you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. I don't know, man. That kind of bugs <laughs> me out. You can't. And most people do, which is why we end up going all the way off to sleep. But, you know, we can do also people, do. Would people actually watch that shit? Uh, no. We've had patients ask. We don't normally, like, That would be the worst, bro. How could you, like, <laughs> meant, like, I, here's my example. I don't know what it would be like. I have, like, veneers on my teeth, so yeah. they're all veneers. And if you ever, like, know what that's like, you go in, and they basically grind your normal teeth down to, like, these sticks. Yeah. Like, they're nothing. And so when I did it, it's probably, like, five years ago, um, they'll give these glasses, and I just watch mm-hmm. Batman the whole time. And it takes fucking forever. And so then they give you, like, one big tooth to put on, and then you come back and they actually do the veneers individually. Yeah. Well, I made the mistake because it's hours you're there. Right. They take the glass off. Oh, we'll change the movie. And then I looked in the mirror, and you can see these, like, sticks, and you're like, oh holy shit. And it freaks you the fuck out. You're like, oh, my God, dude. I'm like, I'm never going to be normal again. <laughs> and that's, like, a small scale compared to, like, right. if someone, like, has cut your hand or your wrist or your leg open, like, I would think I would have, like, a panic attack. Yeah. And so normally we go to sleep or give you heavy enough sedation that you don't care. Yeah. Um, you're like super high, basically. Yeah. Or, I mean, I mean or, yeah. Because what is it like? Cause you go in and it's like you're just, you're high on drugs, essentially? No. Not really. I mean, so it just like messes with the receptors in your brain to mess, like to basically change your conscious level of consciousness. They're not like, I mean, they don't 100% know how it works, but it yeah. works. Well, because like the because like uh, the pain pathways, the movement pathways in your brain are essentially the same. It's like if you're in a fight and you're getting punched, you don't 
it doesn't hurt until you stop essentially mm-hmm. and so basically you guys are just turning off the the pain to the, the conscious, brain the conscious awareness of the pain that's just crazy man yeah so like we can do that and then we also have like regional things that we can do so like uh well nerve blocks are considered kind of a regional and then we can do things like spinal right so we do that a lot for c-sections um which are one of my favorite procedures because you literally put in numbing medicine into the, like the space that holds your spinal cord fluid and it'll numb the patient ba- patients up from basically like the breast down and so they can be wide awake and they can deliver the baby you know basically do an entire abdominal surgery where they cut this baby out <laughs> and the woman can just and the like woman's be talking. like wide awake she know like knows what's happening she can be a part of her baby's birth and they watch it. They would watch that typically. They don't watch it. So we put up a big blue curtain in front of them, so they, so they can't don't freak see. out. Yeah, they can't see it. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy, dude. So, but, I mean, those are kind of fun because they're. I mean, most of the people are like, "This is weird," because you can feel like you. You still have like pressure sensations, so you can tell that they're touching you. And if the, and if you like, I guess verbally explained it to them, they would know like, "Hey, we're cutting your shit open right now." Yeah. yeah but well you, they you, I mean, and again we always test before we like cut on someone yeah but they'll and they'll test them and we're like they're pinching you super hard right now and they're like oh i don't feel anything and then they start cutting and i usually try to warn them anytime that there's gonna be a lot of pressure um like they actually still have to like push the baby out of the the cut that they make in the uterus yeah. so um they'll feel them pushing down on them and stuff like that and then the baby like, comes out. How did we? How did we ever find out to do this shit? I don't know, and I've wondered that too. Like when we do epidurals, same kind of thing. Yeah. Like you literally are taking this huge ass needle and sticking it into someone's back. Like who was the first guy that was like, "I'm gonna do this." That's what I'm saying. And then I get into this potential space, and I thread a catheter, and I can put numbing medicine, and it takes away their pain. Like that's just amazing to me. Well, it's crazy to think like, what did we do a hundred years ago? <laughs> You just said like, "Hey, dude, you we're gonna fix said, we're gonna fix your broken leg." Uh, yes. And like, you just drink booze or some shit. Like, I, it's some, I'm sure I it was mean, super they primitive. They use much less safe uh, anesthetic. But you didn't go under in like 1905. Like, we didn't have the technology. Um, I don't remember the exact. I don't. I'm not a very big history. But it wasn't book, like so it wasn't I like this know. though. No. No. And like even over the past like what 30, 40 years, For sure. things have progressed. I mean, the more we know. Um, the more we can change things. Well, and the technology, I'm sure, when you guys yeah. can track, like, you know, heart rate and what's going on with everybody. Right. And so how does it work? Like, you go in and say, okay, Cindy comes in for this, Rick comes in for this, mm-hmm. and they're each getting different doses of certain things, I would imagine, like every case is Yeah, so every, every, every patient's different, and you have to kind of treat them as such. Um, like my little 80-year-old lady, I'm not going to give her an entire stick of induction medication because her blood pressure will probably bottom out and her heart you know like um her heart could stop or you know whatever so you definitely tailor it to the patients and from i mean i'm always of the ma- of the mindset less an add if you need it for sure you know, like start low you can always add you can't ever take away and do you meet these guys like before you go in yeah for sure so usually i'll meet the patients in the preoperative area we talk about their history i just make sure that there's nothing that i'm missing that could potentially make them more dangerous for surgery and then I just discuss what I'm going to be, what we're going to be doing to them and um, the risks of general anesthesia or whatever kind of anesthesia that we're doing. But they basically send their life away. Yes. Before they come in because it's like, hey. 
And I guess that's what I would wonder, like, when you come in, like, you're explaining it, but, like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Oh, right. we're going to do this. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're just, <laughs> ba- you know, it's kind of like when you go look at, like, again. Uh, well, that's why in medicine, whenever there's a problem, there's a joke that we just blame anesthesia because nobody actually knows what the hell anesthesiologists do. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Basically, that's crazy, dude. <laughs> well, again, it's like, and so you go in, like, a normal typical day. You go in, you have whatever the surgeries are. You've done the... I guess the research the night before you've looked at everybody you know their health history and then once you know somebody goes under you just basically monitor them the whole time yeah so we i mean we monitor their ekg their um, oxygen levels via pulse ox their blood pressure we monitor their temperature we make sure they stay um, relatively normal thermic and um, their carbon like the carbon dioxide that they exhale we measure to make sure that we're not over breathing or under breathing i mean we breathe for them um via whatever device we use yeah. um, sometimes it's a breathing tube sometimes it's a device that basically just like sits behind your tongue hold your tongue out of the way kind of seals off the airway yeah we can use that um yeah so we monitor we pre-treat i mean i always treat patients um prophylactically for nausea vomiting because that's one of the big complications after surgery is um, i'm puking puking yeah. Because of, like, the drugs? Yeah. Usually, I mean, and uh, the anesthesia gases can cause a lot of nausea vomiting, and then narcotics also. Um, Is that part of the reason you tell people not to eat and drink stuff? Yeah. I mean, Yeah, yes. so they don't, like, shit their pants and stuff, I well, guess. Well, I mean. <laughs> Which I'm sure happens. Yeah, that's, that's what we call code brown and. Nice. Uh, <laughs> that's a medical term? <laughs> that's yeah. a medical term. Nice. Um, but now we. That happens? Yeah. Yeah. So like, is that why? Is that one of the reasons why you tell people? No. Like, what is the We just don't want. We don't want you to aspirate. So the American Society of Anesthesia or whatever has come up with these guidelines, and they've. I mean, they've done some studies that have shown that it takes about eight hours um, to decrease your risk of aspiration after a full meal. Yep. And so that's what we're really worried about is aspiration. Um, Some six hours for light meals, and like you can usually have clear liquids like black coffee, no sugar, no cream or anything to at least two hours before and water and then you're cool and then you should be fine yeah that's gnarly and i mean everybody i mean again you know like diabetics have um like slower gut emptying so that could be longer for them you know it may be longer for them that they need to be um what we call npo or without food and so if you see that like before do you you message them and tell them that or you just kind of no, like, I mean, there's a general, yeah, we just go by the regular guidelines cause we don't know. Like I have no idea whether or not that person has, you know, delayed gastric emptying or whatever. That's crazy too. Yeah. I guess I never thought of that. And this so like, okay, let's say you're under, how does that work? All of a sudden like the surgery is done. Do you like bring them back to life or the drugs just kind of wear off? I don't know. How um, so some things we reverse. So like some surgeries require you to have a paralytic on board, which can freak people out. But, we do. We paralyze you. We make you relax. The muscles relax so the surgeon can... The whole body? Yes. All the skeletal muscles. Bro. That's gnarly, dude. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, so at that point, we're fully breathing for you and, you know... How often do you do that? Um, Just depends on the surgery? Yeah. It depends on the surgery. Uh, but yeah, pretty frequently. That's So crazy. we have to reverse the paralytic. Um, we used to do it with a medicine called neostigmine and glycopyrrolate. The combinate well neostigmine was a reversal agent glycopyrrolate is this medicine that basically counteracts the paralyzing agent uh it counteracts the bradycardia that you can get from the neostigmine like, so basically say like, that like a two-year-old so okay, i sorry. understand 
and so, everybody like, listening who's yeah, just like I'm really sorry. <laughs> so over our um, heads, no. So like you give these two medications together. One of them just basically treats the the slow heart rate that you can get from the reversal agent of the paralytic. Okay. But now there's a new drug that's come out since I mean I think it was my second year of training uh, that to, that binds to the actual paralytic medication and makes it inactive. And so it's like an automatic reversal of pretty much like within 90 seconds you get reversal of the like paralytic. kickstart yeah awesome That's so that would have saved me um several surgeries in residency that i had to sit and wait for the paralytic and that's like just off. people with technology just advancing and us being able to do right and that's like a new medication to us it was used in europe for years and years but just became like fda approved and why is four that or five years ago just because our processes are different yeah, obviously I think the processes are slower and and we let Europe test that out before we took a chance nice. at it. I like that. I'm cool with that. <laughs> I dig that. Well, that's why I said, like, I wouldn't want to be the first to do anything, like, at all. Yeah. I don't think it wouldn't be. Uh... I mean, me either, even as a physician, you know, like, when you're taking care of somebody, like, that's their life. You know, somebody's mom, somebody's grandma, somebody's dad or brother, like. <laughs> well, I was going to say, too, like, in terms of, like, you know, stories or something, like, if, mm-hmm. you, if you share anything, like, I need, like, the. If you have like the worst cases you've seen, or like maybe the the strangest ones, or something like that, but I assume even before that, like you talk to these people before, like so sometimes you talk to I the mean, mom and the dad, and yeah, and but I mean like sometimes when I was in training, we were at a level one trauma center, so we would get cases that would come and we know nothing about the patient, you know, they're just crashing and you're taking them to surgery so you know nothing and you just kind of assume that they're gonna die. <laughs> no shit. You know, like and when is this when you're first starting? So during training, so basically, um, in residency, uh, when you start anesthesia, you're that's like your first stuff. Yeah. Like so, you graduate, right? Essentially. So yeah, you, so you graduate from medical school, and then you uh, go to your residency training program. Two years. So for anesthesia, it's four. It's the first year is what we call an internship year. So you're kind of rotating through a bunch of different things. Because you don't know anything yet. Because you don't know anything. Okay. You're basically like learning how to be a doctor, kind of. Yeah. But in whatever but, that but, means. Yeah. yeah. But then you and then our and then your second through fourth year, it's solely anesthesia. Um. Now. Yeah. It's so I guess uh, my question is, like, how does that work? Like, so this is how I think of it. Like, okay, uh, I'm gonna go be a teacher. Uh-huh. You do your student teaching, mm-hmm. but like they can kind of just no offense, like and you watch at first, like I'm sure you guys do mm-hmm. shadowing, whatever the yeah. terminology is. But okay, so for me, like that's my undergrad is uh, special education. It's pretty no offense, like it's pretty basic shit. Mm-hmm. Like I'm watching it and then I'm going in there and I'm like, oh, here's your lesson, and we're gonna like write the alphabet. Yeah. Like I can't really fuck that up. I mean, I guess I can, but like when you guys are going in. Hey, you guys are watching. Now it's on you. And I know there's people like babysitting you. Right. But do you like freak out the first time like you get to do yes. stuff? Like yeah. panicking, uh-huh. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, pretty close. But <laughs> again, they know when you're first starting out. So you have like your attending physician. And that's someone who's already been out, like gone through residency. And they're now you're attending. So they're watching every move that you make. <laughs> and I'm sure they give you like easier stuff Yeah, to they start, start you off pretty easy and then work you um work you into the harder stuff but it doesn't take long before you, you are doing those trauma and it's usually a team effort which was the cool part about it is like you're there with at least you know one or two other people 
to other anesthesiologists taking care of this trauma patient because so like if you think one thing and they think another you can kind of yeah you talk about it and you talk about why you think this way why you think that way and um, make decisions yeah the stress though it's it's a stressful business for sure Um, how long did you do that for a year for the what like the trauma stuff so all throughout our training is this what you rotate through yeah i mean our first year our first year was um a lot of call so we were i swear i think we were on call every two or three days (laughs) 24 hours so it was a definite beat down yeah um but when you're a lot of times it would be like taking out people's gallbladders or appendices in the middle of the night like um washing out wounds uh, a lot of icu transports like bringing icu patients down and washing out their belly or whatever it is that we were doing um butt pus what how, did you, you we talked about that we one time we did talk about this one time so, oh my god it's i don't remember exactly but i was just i couldn't imagine it was real so explain butt pus to the uh, audience it's literally listening. an abscess somewhere around your rectum and it, like around your butthole yeah how does that what why where how and why and how is that a thing uh, <laughs> like how does that manifest itself um, so i don't want to get that and nobody else does either i, mean, I don't think keep clean is that what it is i mean yeah i would definitely start with there so what is it i mean how does that work like what is it like explain it to me it's disgusting is what it is it smells awful and well, it's literally I, I, like you know like when i you imagine get, it does yes okay <laughs> like kind of like a pimple that you get on your face now put that but larger around your rectum like around the actual rim yeah usually and it's just a pimp and what do you do you pop um, it yeah like you but don't, some, you don't like, actually pop but there i no, i say wait <laughs> like i said i stay on the other end <laughs> but those can be smelly and terrible so, so you put somebody under for that yeah how do you how i mean so i don't even understand like how so you just all of a sudden you're like wow my butthole hurts yeah like they can't sit i mean think about it if you had a big old i imagine yeah, abscess on your on your butt you can't sit so eventually they come in and they need surgery and they need surgery to wash it out is it a surgery though i mean i guess that's you classify I mean, it as that. when i think of surgery because yeah. i'm an idiot you cut me open and that's what we well do. they technically cut it open and they like shit drain it and like how often does that happen clean it out i mean it seemed to happen all the time in san antonio <laughs> really that's crazy dude um, yeah young people old people everybody yeah everybody that is gnarly man yeah it's gross um i can't even imagine yeah that seems pretty traumatic yeah for all of us jesus dude <laughs> that would not be one thing i would expect for sure yeah what's like the hardest thing like you like the most i don't want to say hard like uh stressful or difficult or what's the what, what's the easy stuff first like what's the like easiest what, like easy cases yeah. or something um i mean if you're doing a lot of plastic surgery like breast implants and stuff those are usually uh, fairly straightforward, easy cases. Yeah. Um, easy days, healthier patients. And so, like a, a plastic surgeon just has anesthesiologist probably on staff, right? That's most of. No, no? Um, I mean not where where I work. We work at you know an outpatient surgery center that yeah. they bring their patients to, um, and then one of us takes care of them. Interesting. So that's so simple. What's the the stressful stuff? I mean, sure, trauma stuff, right? Uh, yeah, trauma is definitely stressful. In my current job, I would say um, most stressful. I mean, I think that the the emergent belly cases tend to be 
more stressful. So like if somebody has like a ruptured, you know, gut or something, and then we have to take them emergently for surgery. And I swear it always ends up being at like midnight where no one else is around and you and like how many people are in there at that time then it's like you so it's usually me at least one surgeon if not and then some kind of assistant whether that's another surgeon or somebody assisting the surgeon there's at least one nurse if not two and then somebody who's what they call the scrub tech and those are the people that um like are the instrument yeah experts that hand the surgeon it's like six people ish yeah give or take so if shit hits the fan, like it's not that's not a ton of people to to help. No. So it's it can be be a little bit scary, and those are probably my least favorite cases. That wouldn't be f- and again like it, when you guys work and how I guess that's what it is what is a typical like shift like when you go in now? Um, or is there so typical- I would say there's not really a typical shift for us. Technically, our hours are somewhere between 7 and 4.30. So most days end something like that. Yeah. Um, but depending on what kind of call you are, and our every practice is different in how they do it. Um, for us, the only shift work that we really have is um, our OB shifts. We do 12 hours, um, except on the weekends it's 24. Um, so you're up there for 12 straight hours just doing epidural, C-sections, and stuff like that. And, like, you get tired. Yeah. Like a normal person. Yeah, pretty tight. That's what, like, so what, like, obviously, like, Lindsay was on, and she does the ER yeah. stuff, and even she, she's like, and I don't know if there's this 12 or 14 or something yeah, like that. Something like that, too. And it's like, I'm like, at the end, you just got to be like, what the hell, man? Yeah, you're beat down. I mean, sometimes, and then other times, it's like, oh, that wasn't bad. Yeah. I know, that wasn't terrible. But you're still responsible for the same stuff. And that's why I tell people, like, I, I learned that here in this. I used to think, when I was a young kid, I was stupid. I thought, like... All rich people like didn't have bills. And I mm-hmm. found out when I moved here that's not true. Yeah. And then I thought like, oh, if you're a doctor, or like you're a dentist or you're a lawyer, like you're just a responsible adult and you're super smart. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes. But then I'm like, oh wow, there's doctors here who like get shit faced, and there's doctors here who like don't know how to <laughs> like. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, wow, they're, you're really a normal person. And then like, then you have to be. And maybe that's just me being young and ignorant. Like we all get tired. Yeah. We all get angry. We all have the normal same stress and problems of shit. And like this might be this guy or girl's last hour of work right and they don't really not that you don't give a shit but we are human right. so you just like you do the best you can in that yeah. third day a row of 12 hours or whatever people's schedules are which that's kind of crazy yeah and i mean about. there are definitely times when you get super frustrated because you know again a surgeon goes long or you know something happens and you get stuck and you're not on call and you're stuck there late and it's like and that can be a real a real beat down um and some weeks are just longer than others you know where you're on call a couple different times and and so do you still do call now yeah we do call it's just different than it was in residency we're not in-house um unless you're on ob um and those nights can be a real beat down too i imagine <laughs> our dude. ob unit's very busy so um we uh we work our butts off usually when we're up there because it could go away longer I guess than you thought at first like you just so yeah I mean because we deliver so many babies up on our we're you know a lot of times we're up all night long doing epidurals um c-sections if we need to and um yeah it's it can get crazy but the general OR for us isn't too bad usually you might get called in a couple times a year or something when you're first call to come do a case in the middle of the night and those are usually <laughs> pretty terrible <laughs> So like, that means like patient's sick and dying and needs to go to the door. That's rough. And so like you've had that before, I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah. 
And like, wh- how does that like? I never like, obviously I've never seen anybody like I've not been responsible like for that yeah. or like seen it happen in the room. Like, you don't go out and talk to the people, do you? Or is it like the surgeon or somebody that goes out and says, "Hey, so and so is gone." Yeah, I mean, since I have been on my own, I have not had a patient expire on me. Yeah, not going wood. Yeah, um, but it happens a couple of times that got close. But <laughs> yeah, and then you guys like kind of freak out, like, "What the hell?" I mean, yeah, I think. But that's the big part of being an anesthesiologist is like you have to be able to jump in as soon as you know shit hits the fan. Like you got to jump in and take control. Um, and so you know, sometimes I mean, some of the times that things got scary, you know, it was it felt like a, a lifetime for sure before the patient recovers, even though you're doing the right thing, and then you look back at the chart and it was like, <laughs> you know. Almost less than there. three minutes yeah you know that that you were dealing with that so um i have not had to have i mean i have had conversations with family members if like complications happen which is the worst like you never mean to harm someone at least i don't mean to ever yeah. harm someone and you would I assume most freaking hate when it happens because it just you know makes me sick like i'm not out to hurt people it's but there's just, I mean... It's just part of the job, you know, and it really, really sucks when it happens. When the human body is like, so much shit goes on. Right. I say all the time, like, when you think of your car, how complex it is, and then you think of, like, your human body, and I'm like, the fact that this shit even works, know, like, right? at all, that it's we can amazing. talk and run and move and think right. and, like, recall stuff, it's... And feel, you know? Like, it's, yeah, it's super cool. It's crazy. Um... And that we can have thoughts about our thoughts. Like where your dog just thinks about nothing. But you can actually go like layers deep into it. Yeah. Like why do I feel this way? Like why am I this? Like yeah. it's almost insane. And then it all kind of works. Yeah. For the most part. True. So in terms of like the training you go through, all the mm-hmm. stuff, like is it what you expected? Like now that you're in it? Um, kind no. Of. I mean some, yes and no. The anesthesia, actual practice of it, I love. It is... Um, it's just like such a badass career and that's exactly what i wanted i wanted to be able to like be a badass you know yeah well, you, can, um, you control shit yeah and i'm a control freak so it works well yeah well i figure you, don't you have i mean I, I guess not all doctors like i'm sure each uh, methodology has its own reason of why you want to be a plastic surgeon and mm-hmm. why you want to be er or why you want to do whatever but like you basically are you know putting people out and waking them up yeah. And you're kind of in control of, like, all their I shit. I mean, yeah. And it sounds super easy when you say it like that. <laughs> but there's, like, a whole, like... No, I don't think it sounds you know, easy. there's, like, terrible. a whole art to it. And everyone has their, their cocktail of choice or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, drugs that they like to use in certain situations. And um, so that's the fun part about it is you kind of get to, like, you know, this person would do really well with ketamine or this person would do really well with remifentanil. Um, so you kind of get to play with it and um, work it in on each patient. Um, to make them, you know, wake up and be like, oh, we're done. That's the biggest compliment that you can get as an anesthesiologist yeah. is like, oh, I didn't even know. We went well, it's like the responsibility that you guys have. It's like, insane. It's, yeah. it's, their, it's the biggest one. It's your yeah. life. Like there's nothing like yeah. we teach fancy adult PE here. So it's not like, you know, <laughs> like you can, it's really what we do. Like, yeah, you could fall off the assault bike, but that's like more on you for being an idiot. Like right. we can, like we're not going to put you in dangerous situations, but you already get people who are basically giving you, hey, fix me. Or right. if it's trauma shit, like, hey, man, I'm already in a, a shitty spot yeah. trying to make it worse. It's a, it's a lot of responsibility, and it can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes. So, like, best um, parts, worst parts? 
So I'd say the best part is the actual practice of anesthesia. Um, I love that I don't have to go to clinic, that I get to take care of one patient at a time. Um, the worst parts, um, again, the complications, I think, are the absolute, I hate, like, I hate when things go wrong, so, um, and I haven't had any terrible complications, but um, the hours, I think, are not quite what I expected. It's a lot. It's a, you're working a lot, and I don't feel, um, and at least in our practice, we, we have no idea what time we're going to get off every day. You know, you could be like post third call and we're so busy that you have to stay until 4.30 p.m., you know, when really you hope that you get off somewhere, you know, earlier in the day. To like live a normal life Like to live a normal this. life. Um, and then, you know, the next day you're not, you know, you're not on call, you're not post call, you probably should get off somewhere around 4.30 and you're done by 2.00. So you just have like, it's very hard to plan life outside, outside of work because when you're working, it's everything. You, you just have no, no control really. It feels like, um, over when you're going to get done. Well, that's why I say like, you know, everybody's a person like you guys have like, Hey, I'm going to go meet you for happy hour. Or we want to yeah. go do this fun ship. You're like, well, I can't, you have to almost like, that's what I mean. Like, how do you, you compartmentalize it, right? Or you turn your brain off from one yeah. thing to the other. Like, or you I, just don't make friends and then yeah. you don't have to work. <laughs> It's way easier. You guys are a bunch of losers. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, that's crazy, dude. That would be hard, I think, to turn it off, right? Because yeah. it's like you're the same person all the time, but you're doctor mode here, and then I'm just like normal actually here. Yeah, which that would be the weird thing. Because you guys are two different. Because we don't think of it like we see you guys come in here. And it's like you're normal. Yeah. But you're at this whole other. And it's like when I see people here, so we see you guys at you know five a.m., six a.m., whatever, and you're just in your gym clothes, and then we see you in your real human clothes. Like, yeah. oh fuck. You got a real yeah. job and you do real shit. Right. Well, and it's funny too because, you know, we wear scrub hats all the time. And so I have my whole box full of fun scrub hat caps. And that's what most people know me at work from. For so sure. when I take my hat off, they're like, oh, Dr. Ledger, you have hair. You have a lot of hair. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm a real human when I leave here too. <laughs> I'm not bald underneath. I have a husband thing. and friends. It's yes. crazy. <laughs> nice, dude. Um, so just the current season, uh, obviously, yeah. since, you know, the pandemic's been going on, sure. uh, all that stuff. Has it been different for you guys the last two months in terms of, I'm sure, like activity in Arizona specifically, obviously, because we're here, mm -hmm. like working less, working more? So, I mean, during, when, during the shutdown, um, we were definitely working significantly less. Um, so we were, I would think I was down to like two or three days a week, um, usually when I was on call. Which is good for, I mean, it's good because there wasn't that many cases and all that stuff. Yeah. Probably not ideal <laughs> for you guys. The business model is the probably business not model, great. yeah, definitely suffered, but um, that's above my pay grade. I yeah. mistake what I'm given. <laughs> For sure, I know how it works, man. And uh, but you know, I I am lucky enough to have a job where I was still ha like I still had an income, you know, and yeah. I wasn't furloughed and I wasn't let go or anything like that. So um, super lucky that that was the case. Um, but. I think the stressful part was like the, just the unknown you know every day was like like when it first came out like when it first came out it was very i mean i was i was definitely scared i mean looking at what was happening in like new york city um or like italy and shit and italy i was like holy shit because i would message you guys and every it's basically what i do like i can't watch the news anymore of anything because it just freaks <laughs> yeah. me out um, and so I would message all of you i'm like well you guys are actually in the hospitals and i'm like what is your take on it and as the weeks went on you guys seemed 
as a collectively as a group even though like you're not all communicating with each other i'm mm-hmm. doing it i'm like you're all kind of saying the same stuff yeah. so if one of you would have been saying like jeremy you're gonna die tomorrow and then you're saying it's cool then i would have freaked me out right but even for me like the first so close the gym down i don't know what's going on i'm like well shit is our 10 percent of us going to just drop dead today because that's right. what it sounded like for sure and that's kind of how they sold it um, and for us, you know, we were seeing a lot of reports of healthcare providers, the ones that were caring for the COVID patients were the ones that were getting really sick and dying. Like the young people that were sick and dying were the ones caring for those. And so as an anesthesiologist, like I am in people's airways every day. Yeah. And what you so, do. I mean, these aerosolizing procedures, that's the shit I do all day, every day. And so that was scary to me. Um, and I got really worried at first that, you know, like I was going to die from this, Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I was going to take a straight shot to the face of COVID and gone tomorrow. Um, and like how as, long, how long did, did you feel like that for a couple of weeks, a week? Um, probably a couple of weeks. And I think, you know, we didn't have any testing methods. We had nothing. We, I mean, I just assumed everyone was like a walking covid yeah everybody's a threat <laughs> yeah. basically i swear i was where i was using so much hand sanitizer i mean like crazy person and i came home and i sat down next to steve and he was like have you been drinking oh because it's and i like, like it took booze, me a yeah. second i was like no that's the alcohol yeah. hand sanitizer it's unfortunately strong. it does not absorb no <laughs> we have it here people like it smells like we get it from like uh uh, blue uh, clover distillery it smells uh-huh. like booze i mean yeah. it really does it's, it's, I mean, it smells actually decent but i the same thing i'm like okay so i wonder for you guys like how long from the day until then you get more information and the one question i would i guess i would wonder like when the younger people are getting it and they're sicker and they're the medical people is it because they're like they're exposed to it all day non-stop every single day and i'm sure they're working long hours and there's i think everybody's different i'm sure yeah and i and i don't know that we 100% know the answer to that and no. like they were wondering if it's like the viral load that you take because they're um, in it like 24 right. 7 where if Cindy's at Safeway and it's she not gets the same. like yeah a whiff of it or whatever and then she's positive so I mean they, that's kind of what they were theorizing I don't know that there's been an update on that no um, and it's crazy how some people like get it it's not even a thing like they don't even know and it's right. fine. And some people get it and they feel like shit. Well, yeah. And the problem, too, is like our testing um, is not really foolproof. You know what I mean? Like no. there are so many false negatives with it. Like if you get a positive COVID test, you're probably freaking positive. Yeah. But if you get a negative one, you're still like me. Because <laughs> like, maybe, maybe not. Because there were a lot of pay- like a lot of people that I know, even at work, that were very symptomatic, like classic symptoms, but they would test negative. And, you know... So you're like, well, was it that? Was it some other kind of, you know, upper respiratory infection that they were having? We don't know. We don't really know. But, you know, if you look at the tests, I mean, (laughs) there's like a 20, I think it's a 20% false, like, or false negative rate. Like, that's a huge number. To be wrong. To be wrong. And like, really and truly, like, the test is, I think it's within three days of exposure is when you get the best chance of having a true result. To show if it's like if it's accurate or not. If it's positive. So, because at that point, it could have moved down into your lungs and then you could test negative. Or you're, the testing practice, they don't get right where it needs to be and you test negative. And is the test is still the same way now? So, like, we're it's st- the same way. And so, you know, we're testing tons of patients that, or basically any patient that's an elective case, we test, um, which we're grateful for. Like, we want to know for ahead sure. of time. So that well, at we least, can- like, to know, like, 
if it's accurate, right. I mean, if it was 100% it'd be <clears throat> ideal, obviously, but at least you kind of have some idea. Yeah. And so, but I think at first, um, I took it as like, oh, well, if they're negative, they're negative. But now I'm like, meh, I'm still just going to be cautious. So I wear like an N95 mask anytime that I intubate somebody with my wear eye protection and all those sorts of things. And definitely like, you know, gloves, hand sanitizer, That's all crazy. that jazz. Because Heather and I went and did it, the antibody test, mm-hmm. like the Monday before this. And like, she had a mask on for 20 seconds and freaked out and then ran out of the room because she couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> She's too claustrophobic. Uh, but they let us come back in. Yeah. And I said, too, like, because we do the temp check shit here every day for work, just to, like, chart it and do whatever. Yeah. Just to be, you know, as right. safe as we can. And I remember when I went in there, I had just worked out and I sat in her hot-ass car and I walk in and the nurse lady does She's like, 100 whatever. And I'm like, she did it, like, twice. And the nurse lady starts freaking out. I'm like, what the fuck? Dude, am I going to die right now? Right. What's going on? But then, like, they did it and went through and it's negative. But I'm like. I didn't feel. I don't get knock on wood like sick, sick like normal people. Very rarely, but again, if they're like, "Oh, your throat is sore," I'm like, "Well, my throat was kind of sore in this month." And I I'm know, like, right? Maybe that's it. And we know people who have had it, yeah, for sure. That like we were around them at some point, but I'm like, who knows? Right. And like they didn't really feel super sick, and they just like had a quote unquote cold, then go in later and says, "Oh yeah, you have the antibodies or test positive for it," right? Which is kind of crazy too. So, and I think that's kind of you know. We're, we have no idea how many people have actually like had it, you know. A ton. Though. I just pretty much assume it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I'm not so much afraid of it anymore. I think the more that we know about it, um, it's not like when I, I, it's not a death sentence, which I think is what they were really we like, showing at the beginning. So I've taken a step back and I'm like, okay, like I can. Live your life. I can handle it, yeah. Well, and again, for you guys, and I asked Lindsay the same thing, I'm like, if you guys are going to get it, the odds are it's probably at work. Yeah. Or somewhere, because right. you're around. Right. And especially, like, in the ER, they're they're exposed way more than we are, because, you know, again, we test patients. We don't see everything that comes All through the, the hospital. Um, so we, you know, I would say we, well, um, you know, I've taken care, of, I think, of just one COVID-positive patient, and... Um, <laughs> nice. I was decked out. Like one, one that you know of. Yeah, you did I the mean, whole shit. You know, it was. She was laughing at me because I was so. Uh, had your full gear on, I had like a hazmat suit. Yeah. Well, the dentist who's here does that basically all day. I mean, right. Yeah, same thing because like they're in the airway. I mean, they're right in the mouth all day. Yeah, the whole time. Which, but I guess that's the point. Like when they when this first happened, it basically came out and it was like. Everybody is going to drop dead. Not yeah. everybody, but they made this huge number. They were like, oh, in California, maybe a million people, yeah. you know, aren't going to make it. And it didn't turn out to be that. I think, you know, we did the steps that we did and are doing, but it's awesome. And I say this too on it. I, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I'm just a glorified gym teacher, but I didn't. And I watched the news for probably the first month and a half when they would do the press briefings and Pence comes up there and is like, slow the spread and does the sign. Yeah. Super cool. I didn't hear any of these people be like, hey, man, sleep, sleep more, mm-hmm. uh, eat real food. You know, maybe just, you know, if you're not eating greens, take some shit, take some zinc, take some D, get out in the sun, exercise, yeah. don't eat and drink shit. We didn't say none of that. Right. And like, I'm not saying that is going to fix it or cure it, but that does help you in well, life mean, for everything. Right. Well, but when you look at the the people that are high risk, Yes. Um, you know, it's over 65, which... Older people tend to be because your immune system starts to go. Systems for sure lessen, but then you also see like the obesity, the high blood pressure. Um, you know those 
chronic problems that are plaguing America right now um, are the ones that are high risk. And yet so, we don't really, we just we say get yeah. hand sanitizer and wipes, which is super cool. Right. But which we sh- you should be doing anyway. Anyways. I mean, like living in a world where you know we're, I'm in an OR where we have sterile, you know, like everything's sterile, all everything's the time, clean. So to me, everything's contam- everything else is contaminated. <laughs> yeah, 100%. like I, I live in a contaminated world. I'm not afraid of that. I've lived in a contaminated world my whole life, so that doesn't necessarily scare me. Um, but it's just, I think the newness of the virus, right? Because again, we had no idea. They still, I don't think they still have a hundred percent idea of like what happens, what makes somebody more susceptible than somebody else. Um, you know, there are some studies that are, that are out that are looking at like, um, that it potentially like targets the endothelial cells, um, for the people at home, for the people at home, that means and me, me. (laughs) like basically like the lining of all your blood vessels of your, so that's your entire body. And if you get inflammation there, like let's say you get it in your heart, that can disrupt a plaque. If you already have plaques built up in your heart. Because you either because, genetics or you eat like shit. Right. Then that can disrupt it and cause a heart attack. Sorry, I'm trying to yeah. remember. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. So like, so they're, they're, they're working on different, like how does this thing work and how do we treat it? Um, and... Most viruses, if you think about it, the treatment is supportive, right? There's not a whole lot we can do. Because, like, there's, mul- I mean, this is the the newest, the most contagious coronavirus, right. but there's multiple in the family or series, I guess, if you will. Right, yeah. And we don't have a fix for any, any of, of them. them. And no. same thing with the flu. We don't have a cure for flu. What do we do? We try to build up your antibodies so that your body can fight it. Yeah. And then we support you <laughs> while you're fighting it. And so, you know, like, again, they thought that maybe the, that, you know, Corona was causing a very similar reaction to like what flu, how flu can lead to death, this like massive cytokine release. And sometimes that might happen, but now they're wondering if it's more of this like vascular inflammation, which is very interesting because I don't think there's any other virus no. that does that. Um and so if you already have all these comorbidities because you're not taking care of yourself. It just compounds the problem. It compounds the problem. And that problem. could be the thing that just takes you out, that basically. takes you out. Because your body can only fight off so much shit. Right. And, like, you'll hear the people that go, oh, my grandpa lived at 89 and he drank and smoked and did all these things. He's a unicorn, bro. Yeah. Like, that's, that's rare. That's just not... <laughs> that's not a recipe <laughs> that's for the, success. That's not, like, saying that you're going to have the same... No, it'd be saying, it'd be like saying Michael Jordan could do this. I'm like, well, you're not Michael Jordan, bro. Right. Like your grandpa was like just a gangster, right? And he just that yeah. was him. That's he not was, you. Yeah. Absolutely. Most of us shouldn't be following the smoke cigarettes and drink whiskey every day till we're ninety. Yeah. Probably not gonna happen. Probably not gonna happen. So like for you now, when you go out and do stuff, like you feel, you know, I guess, though I don't know if comfortable is the word, but it's like at some point, like we just have to live our lives knowing like there's right. risk to everything. And, I mean, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, do I want to get coronavirus? Absolutely not. No, it seems like it would suck. But (laughs) at the same time, like, do I think I'm going to die of coronavirus? Well, of course, I don't think I'm going to die. I don't think... Hopefully, I'm not going to die for a long time. Yeah. But um, at the same time, I'm just very, you know, mindful. Hand hygiene, I think, is the most important part of it. And, like, um, I still, you know, relatively keep my distance. I'm not 
crazy weird about not it. Not going to Coachella if they had it? No. No, I'm probably not going to no. go to Coachella no. ever. <laughs> anyway, but... Um. <laughs> but, like, if you... Like, now that if you could go to a restaurant and it was, like, somewhat normal in the future, like, you would feel mm-hmm. comfortable going if it was yeah. maybe set up in the right way? Yeah. Would you get an airplane? Yes. Um, the airplane's probably, like, the one place I will legit wear a mask, like, without question, because... I think I we have like, to now, right? Yeah, you do. And I but just for you, like you're not like, used to, like, for me, I'm like, if I have to wear a mask for, like, seven hours, dude, I, it'd be rough, bro. I still feel like that. I mean, I wear a mask all day, every all day. day. But, and I just notice, like, when I have a freaking mask on my face, what am I doing all day long? Touching, Touching my yes. face. Because it's always in my eyeballs. It's, like, moving around. Drives me nuts. So then so, if you got some shit on your hands, now you got it on your face, exactly. too. Exactly. So, <laughs> Not yeah. Well, there's not like there's no there's no education for an average person to like how to you know wear gloves, Absolutely. take off gloves, how to put on a mask. Like, right. and even like when this was happening, like in the middle of it, like I was washing my hands so much, like twenty times a day, and like came home and I'm like, it like it would, like rub my hands yeah. raw, and I'm like, well that can't be good, and all my hands got like open wounds <laughs> open and shit. Sores, I'm like, this yeah. seems like it, it's kind of counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, but it's nice to know like well again like in here all the places are opening up, and obviously the numbers are gonna. They're going to rise. I mean, and and we expected that. And that's not what the shutdown was for. And I think that's what people continue to forget is that the shutdown wasn't to prevent the virus from spreading because we're not going to prevent that at this point. I think there are probably reports of it being in the country. They're thinking like as early as what, December or something crazy like that. I mean, it's how do you even know? How would they ever know? They don't they don't know. And so it was for people to get so everybody has supplies, right. beds, and it and was really things. for our healthcare community to just kind of get a handle on things. And like I don't, I I know that the shutdown sucked for most people, for sure. Um, but there, you know, part of me does support that we needed to like, whoa, 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 let's figure this thing out before it takes everybody out. Like based on the information that we had, for sure. Um, and you know, to get our healthcare providers the PPE that they need to take care of people and. Well, um, just to kind of get a grasp, of, like a pl- a game plan even, you know, just like, let's get a game plan of like, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. Well, especially when you see like, when you see it, like how bad New York was or, or Italy, for example, and you're like, oh shit, if that happens everywhere, like we have a problem. And then when, if you, obviously if you guys do research and you look at like Spanish flu, which like took out like 50 million people mm-hmm. in like two years. Right. Now, obviously the world is, we're more advanced with technology and things now. I go, but if it was something like that, then I'm like, okay maybe we need to go like hide and do whatever right but when you understand like all the things that come with like staying at home for six months like that can't the world doesn't can't operate that way no. especially now as we know more information well, it's and like even think about your mental health staying home i said it made me long. weird bro i mean it's like <laughs> i got I, we and, need I, and i was lucky enough that i still got to go to work at least a couple times a week and i'm like love you know i yeah. i almost loved going to work then because i got to like see people we got to talk and like it kind of be just normal. Be <laughs> yeah. Kind of normal. Yeah. Yeah. The staying at home again. I'm glad. Like, I'm glad we're kind of moving towards this way. But like, what is the, what is the next thing? We yeah. Just, we just keep. Who knows? Normal. We're hoping that this is the big one of our generation. Yeah. But who knows? And like, when it becomes winter time, does it? We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. No. I mean, obviously they're trying to. But the normal flu season comes as right. it always does, and then if if this is part of it or not part of it, like, right. Who knows? I mean, does everybody just have to get it, kind of? Is I that... mean, at this point, that's kind of like the thought, right? Herd immunity. Um, Which is crazy. And then, you know, of course, we were like, not sure if, if you'd had it, could you get it again? Yeah. And does it actually give you immunity? And then I saw... Like chicken pox, basically. Yeah. And then I saw something else that was like, well, 
if you get it after you've already had it, you're not um, immune. You're, yeah, you're not immune, or so you can get it twice. So you, yeah, maybe. I mean, we don't know. We don't. We don't know. We and don't that's know and that's the scary part of it, right? And we're as again as Americans, we want we have all this knowledge at the tip of our fingers all yeah. the time. We want the answer. We want to know. I had a friend who, um, her mom has like all these, you know, all the major <laughs> risk factors yeah. for dying of COVID. She's got them. And so she was, Brittany was terrified. And I didn't blame her. I was like, you know, trying to be like, you know, she's not dying yet. Just walk, be really careful. Like if she gets short of breath, she needs to go. And so we, you know, waited and waited and she got through it. And she did fine, you know. And then her 87-year-old grandpa gets it in a nursing home. No shit. He's got coronary artery disease, COPD from smoking for years and years. So she thought he was going to die from it next. And then he's now tested negative and he's he fine and, li- and living. So it's like, and these are all obviously anecdotal for stories. Sure. But at the same time, it's like when you know that most people actually survive it, it makes you feel a little bit better. Now, if you're high risk, I still think you should be taking all those precautions. Like, For sure. Like, be safe, stay home. If it makes you feel good to wear a mask, wear a mask. But wash your hands. <laughs> and, don't, and, and try to eat good and, and treat your body. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think that's a, that's a big thing. Like, get, get your sleep. I think that's been hard, you know, over the past few weeks but yeah um, stress in the world has the, been a- the stress of the world um can really take that out of you but i know i feel a thousand times better when i've had sleep 100 percent, and i've eaten like i should <laughs> and so your advice to people is like if you're in our age demographic you're a younger person you're healthy mm-hmm. just be smart wash your hands but you have to live your life right i think so people will tell me that i'm that this is you know, not right as me uh, as a physician for me to say that, but I think but like, what's for the, the most part. I mean, look at you know, you look at Sweden, and they didn't shut down at all, and their cases are high, their death rate's not that terrible. And he's like, and when come fall, when all you people have shut down, like we're gonna have a higher immunity to this than you are, hopefully. That's the you goal. know, that's what they're thinking. So. Who knows what the what the right answer is, but yeah, I think at least that's as far as the based on the information that I know, that's how I'm living my life. We'll put it that way. I dig that. Well, again, like we have doctors who come here, so I feel like, hey, man, if you guys are coming, I'm like, I feel all right being <laughs> here too, man. The hell with it, man. And I definitely like thought about it. I'm like, should I? Should I not? Um, but in the end, I think for me, like mentally, it's what I need. It's I've got to have it. Otherwise, I go insane so nice man I dig that it's almost an hour dude nice it's a lot of information I learned a lot of stuff yeah sorry anything else you want to spit out there to the people at home I don't think so be cautious yeah, don't be, be scared cautious. though don't want to stress and you like, out like crazy don't shame other people <laughs> I think that's a big thing too like, oh dude I see it like, a lot yeah it's been so bad um yelling at people in grocery stores who aren't wearing masks and stuff like that I mean it's like you you need to do what's right for you I think like any time in life that's just a good message for everybody just stay in your lane like stop worrying about what other people are doing and just do you and if you think that means wear a mask wear a mask I dig it man (laughs) 
<laughs> cool beans. Uh, appreciate it, man. That's awesome. Good stuff. We'll bring you back on too, for sure. Cool. As this goes, and thanks for having me. As your life goes on, for sure, and all the, we'll share more butt puss stories and everything <laughs> between. There. I hope I don't have any more butt puss stories from no. here on out. Uh, <laughs> real quick, if you guys are on iTunes right now, stop. Uh, don't be a lazy ass. Uh, drop us a five star. Go to ratings and reviews. Drop me a message as well if you're on your iPhone. Go to the podcast app. Scroll your finger all the way down. Drop it. If you guys have any requests or things you want to hear, hit me up. Uh, I would share her information, but I don't want you guys to stalk her and go crazy. Uh, but if you have a message for her, shoot it to me. I'll, I'll for surely pass it along. Uh, again, Ashley, thank you. That sure, was awesome. Uh, and you guys at home, uh, until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.